Welcome to Ms. Lyrics Poetry Outlaws, a show about all things poetry. I'm your host, Catherine Owen. Why, good morning, Outlaws. It's actually nearly afternoon. It's 11 o'clock here. Of course, I usually get on my recordings and my podcastings and so forth a lot earlier, but it was Valentine's Day yesterday, so... I ended up going and staying at the Western Budget Inn where you can have a very cheap jacuzzi and uh, dinner out at the sawmill with my significant other. And so we're just getting back now and feeling my brain not as peppy as usual because I'm not in my routine. But at the same time, sometimes it's frustrating how stuck and insistent I get on doing things particular ways every day, partially OCD brain, partially necessity. I still got up and had coffee in the hotel room and read my poetry and poetics. And speaking of poetics, we have an openers today. And today it is The Electric Life, Essays on Modern Poetry by Sven Burkertz. Now, this book came out in 1989, and I got it out of the library when I was a teenager. And then I eventually ended up buying it, remaindered, I believe, from the library. Definitely an important book. I've reread on a number of occasions, especially his essays at the beginning, where he talks about language and the connection between poetry and politics And one of his main preoccupations, the poet in an age of distraction, where he speaks of, well, in the the late 80s, it was more, you know, television and things like that that were distracting the poet. And now, of course, we have a million more distractions with the Internet and social media and so forth. And another influential book that he wrote is um, it's on uh, the Gutenberg Elegies, which is on entirely about um, writing and creating art and just being a whole, you know, person who's capable of absorbing information and um, feeling awe in an age where we're so splintered and fractured by the internet and social media and all those electronic technological demands and how much we've let ourselves be ruled thusly because of financial considerations and, you know, just being part of the way things are in modernity. But in fact, he's he's very intent on pinpointing the damage and the, the losses uh, amid the gains. But I'm particularly interested as well as his uh, reviews and his uh, obsession with translation on how he speaks about the writer. He's not afraid to say that a poet has a particular ability to be a a channel or a force or an energy he's he takes from from Shelley uh Percy Bysshe Shelley which is where the electric life title came from in the sense that um you know one can through these routines and schedules and structuring one's life so that one is as dedicated to one's art as possible become a receiver become this source uh, through which everything can flow. Not always, but more often than not. And he holds to the mystery of that. He doesn't want to explain it. So I'm going to read a passage that I just opened to 
from an essay called When Lightning Strikes, right at the beginning of the book. And then I'm going to read a poem that I randomly opened to, which I will introduce shortly. So first of all, I open to a paragraph at the bottom of the page 53, and it reads, Writers are perhaps permeated by language to a greater degree or depth than others. They have invested their being more fully in it, but they have also absorbed the conventions of their craft. If a gift line comes out in an iambic pentameter, it is probably not because the psyche naturally arranges its material in formal rhythmic sequence. Then he says parenthetically, though some have argued that it does, that forms and meters evolve because of their particular structural affinity to inner experience. More likely, it is because the structural possibilities have been taken in along with the language and exist as combinatory options at that threshold where impulse galvanizes language. So the absorption of craft and then giving oneself uh, the opportunity to invest time and energy in creation that fuses and merges to create the art. He continues, in terms of this learning and absorbing, the poet makes himself, but the love that guides it is given, not made. So that's this kind of contradictory energy of you need to make yourself, you need to be the propulsion but there's still the mystery. There's still something that is given and not made, which is why, you know, the argument goes back and forth that poetry cannot be taught because you can teach various tools, uh, skills, um, forms, and so forth, but you can't teach that, you know, some have called it a divine spark. Um, some call it lightning. Some call it just the unknown he says, tries we might to explain this love as muse, imagination, psyche, or neural firing, its mystery abides. So it's very hard to say, I'm going to write a poem and it's going to be like this. It just never works. You always have to just open yourself to who knows what's going to happen and see and trust. The ancient belief that the poet was the chosen instrument of the gods may not, when put into modern dress, be so absurd. So that may be seen as a little bit over the top, but it's still true. Whether it's gods or not, it's definitely the unknown, the mystery. And then I'm rereading, again, a, a book that I came across probably in the late 80s at uh, the Burnaby Library. When did this one come out? Oh, no, early 90s. This came out in 1992. Uh, and it's Dime Store Alchemy, The Art of Joseph Cornell by Charles Simich, who just died. And I opened to this prose poem called Untitled Soap Bubble Set, 1936. A soap bubble went to meet infinity. Here's a cabinet containing the implements you need. There's a classroom map of the moon, a clay pipe, a blue egg in a wine glass, and a child's head on a block of wood. There are many versions of this dream machine, but the map, the pipe, and the glass are almost always present. The heavenly bodies are soap bubbles. They float in the Empyrean, cradling the dreamer. The ephemeral bubble ascends into the wintry cold and silence of the sky. It's the soul of the world ascending. Cosmogenies are soap bubbles. 
The father of our solitude is a child. A soap bubble has no content. After it has burst, there's nothing left of it. The leap of a ballet dancer is a soap bubble, too. Our hearts leap, we say. This is the long, bright silence of Nietzsche's before which we stand in awe. The far and beyond and the near momentarily touch. The world is beautiful, but not sayable. That's why we need art. You've been listening to Miss Lyric's Poetry Outlaws. Stay fierce, word musicians.